0: From Hollywood, the Hollywood
1: Radio Theater.
0: Starring Joan Fontaine and Mel Ferrer in Undercurrent. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Irving Cummings.
2: Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Our play tonight suspenseful story of a young bride who soon discovers her husband's mysterious hatred for his brother can bring complete disaster to her marriage. Undercurrent was one of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's most successful dramas. And as our stars, we have invited one of our most popular actresses, Joan Fontaine, who co-stars with Mel Ferrer, high on the list of our distinguished actors. Now, act one of Undercurrent starring Joan Fontaine as as Anne and Mel Ferrer as Alan Garraway. It was a marriage no one would have predicted. Anne Hamilton, reserved, unaspiring, and Alan Garraway, the wealthy, celebrated inventor of the Garraway Distance Control. Garraway brought his bride to Washington. Their first night there, he displayed her before a large, select group of friends when the friends had departed. Anne, darling, what is it?
3: I thought they'd never go, Alan. Oh, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have. What,
4: darling, I shouldn't have what?
3: You shouldn't have married me. Your friends asked, and they know it was a mistake. Anne. Oh, I can't help it. I don't even know what they were talking about. And they were laughing at me, Alan. I know they were. But
4: I was so proud of you tonight.
3: I was lost among them. Oh, what they must have thought. I mean, well, good grief. I don't even know how to dress.
4: <laughs> Is that all that's worrying you?
3: I'm going to take this dress off and never see it again.
4: Darling, it's a perfectly nice dress.
3: Nice dress? It's eight inches too short and it's only two weeks old. Oh, Alan, you're stuck with a wife who doesn't know anything about clothes. She doesn't even know how to behave. I'll tell
4: you what, we'll go shopping tomorrow.
3: It won't do any good. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be such a boob. I want so much to be right for you. Will you shut up? Well, I'll learn. I really will. I'll learn to talk like your friends. I'll I'll learn to be like them. I don't know how the heck I'll do it, but I'll do it. If
4: you do, I'll kill you. (laughs)
3: Now,
4: darling, just tell me one thing. Who do you belong to?
3: You. That's
4: all. That's all that matters.
3: Is it,
4: Alan? Is it? And if you ever forget that, you'll be very sorry.
3: Now, if Madame does not mind waiting, I will arrange to have some hats modelled for her right away. Well, darling? Of course, I don't believe any part of this. A mink coat, a beaver jacket, 14 gowns, 12 <laughs> pairs of shoes. <laughs> I'll relax. If I relax, I'll drop dead. Oh, Alan, how could you let me wear that brown horror last night?
4: I'm in love with you, darling. I didn't even notice.
3: Oh, but you must have. Oh, don't be afraid of hurting me. I don't know much about these things. Alan Garraway. Hello, Mrs. You, Foster.
4: Anne is a neighbor of ours from Virginia, an old friend of my mother's. Mrs. Foster, my wife.
3: How do you do? I'm delighted to meet you, my dear. When are you coming down to Middleburg?
4: Well, if business eases up next month, I hope.
3: Well, Alan, she looks like a fine, honest girl. you ride, of course? I'm afraid I'm not very good at it. Oh, we're raised on horses in Middleburg, aren't we, Alan?
4: Oh, but definitely.
3: Alan's not a bad rider, my dear. But his brother Michael's the boy <laughs> with the light hand. By the way, Alan, how is Michael?
4: Michael is always Michael. I hope you'll excuse us, Mrs. Foster. We were just going to... Oh, of
3: course. uh... I'm late for an appointment myself. I'll be looking for you in Middleburg. Goodbye, Mrs. Foster. Alan, you didn't tell me you had a brother.
4: I haven't had time to tell you a lot of things, darling. Look, you, uh... You pick out your hat, then. I'll wait out front and get some eggs.
3: wrong, darling. You seem so troubled since we came back from shopping.
4: You were surprised to learn I have a brother.
3: But what a nice surprise. Where is he, dear?
4: He spoiled my first day alone with you. Oh, it's so typical. Good old Mike. Uh, I meant to tell you about him, Ann. I've been putting it off. But one of these days we'll have to go to San Francisco. Our factory's there. You'll meet people who know Mike. Who adore him. He does that to people. My mother adored him. He was her favorite. Oh,
3: Alan, well, please, if you'd rather
4: not. When my father died, Mike and I took over the business. I was the engineer. That's, that's when I started working on my distance control. We'd been making plenty of money when suddenly we began to run out of funds. Mike must have thought I was an imbecile to do it the way he did. It was just like putting his hand in the cash register.
3: He was stealing from you? Your own brother?
4: Yes. Mike had bought a ranch in the country. He spent most of his time there. Anyway, I drove out to see him. When I told him what I'd found out, he said, I'd never do anything about it, not while Mother was alive. And I didn't. Mother was an invalid. She died the next spring. Oh,
3: please, Alan, don't.
4: There's not much more to tell. After she died, Mike just disappeared. Last I heard, he was in the Army. It was over three years ago.
3: He disappeared because he was afraid of what you might do to him?
4: Well, maybe. Mike's not afraid of me. And I keep thinking he's alive somewhere and hating me the way he must. I even felt I didn't have the right to marry
3: him. Oh, Alan, don't. Don't say that. He can't hurt us if if we never let him come between us. Why
4: should he? What's Mike got to do with us?
3: Nothing, nothing.
4: So we'll never think about him or speak about him again.
3: But if anything ever does come up, you'll tell me, you'll let me know.
4: Nothing ever will.
3: Darling, I'm so deeply sorry for you. But I'm glad you've told me because it means you're not as sure of yourself as I thought you were. You need me even if it's only to help you forget.
4: I need you very much.
3: <laughs> you may have a no-good brother, but you're going to have an awfully good wife. Oh, I'm so grateful to you for so many things. It's as though you would led me by the hand into a strange and wonderful world, a world to dream of.
4: Well, I dream. You're here, Anne, and you're mine, and I love you
3: Afternoon, Mrs. Galloway. Did you have a nice afternoon shopping? Oh yes, Mrs. Hildebrand. Any messages? No messages, Madame. That means that all your invitations for tonight have been accepted. Mm. I don't know what I'd do without you, Mrs. Hildebrand. The perfect housekeeper. How many dinner parties have we given this month? Is it two hundred and ten or two hundred and eleven? This is your sixth, Madame. Oh, would you mind looking at the table? I took the liberty of arranging the place cards. <laughs> You know, such a strange thing happened this afternoon at the bookshop. Mr. Galloway left a book there months ago to be rebound. He must have forgotten all about it. It's a volume of English poems. Oh, I'm so glad I found it. Yes, madame. Uh, Oh, you'll notice I put Judge Putnam on your right. What? Oh, yes. Uh, Who is this one, Mrs. Hildebrand? Who is Mr. Henry Gilson? A new congressman from the Midwest. I wondered why you placed him in the doorway. He's no one important Ah, that explains it. If that is all, madame, I had difficulty to see about the audience. I'm sorry, Henry Gilson. You're just not important, poor guy. We have something in common, the two of us. Well, I think you are important. Henry, you and Mr. Justice Putnam are changing places. There. Now, uh, tell me, Congressman Gilson, uh, just what part of the Midwest do you come from? Uh, What part of the Midwest do you come from? Iowa. Oh, I love Iowa. It's so big and full of corn, isn't it?
1: Yes, ma'am. Yes, it certainly is.
3: Excuse me for a moment. Uh, Shall we go into the other room for coffee? It was such a lovely dinner, Mrs. Garroway. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Postgate. My dear, you gown gone. What exquisite taste you have. I ah, will thank you, Madame Defarge. Oh, Anne, just a minute. Thank you, Mr. Garroway. <laughs> yes, darling.
4: Anne, are you trying to be rude to Judge Putnam? Why on earth did you have to seat him in the doorway?
3: I thought the draft might do him good. He seemed so stuffy. Well,
4: I invited him here for a reason. You know that.
3: Oh, I'm sorry, dear. I don't know what got into me. I'll make it up
1: to him right
4: away. I believe your wife's bewitched me, Garraway. Why, I haven't talked so much about myself in years. (laughs) Please don't stop now, Judge Putnam.
3: Not when you're telling us about your home. Charleston must be beautiful this time of year. It is,
2: but I won't see it. Sometimes I feel it really belongs to the people who take care of it much
4: more than it does to me. That's a very generous attitude, sir.
3: (laughs) My father always says how foolish we are to think that we really possess anything in life.
4: Why would he say that?
3: Well, I think Judge Putnam understands. No one ever really owns anything. All we have is a temporary use of it. It just isn't true to say my this or my that.
4: Not even my wife?
3: Oh, well, (laughs) that's different. You know, I I read something today which says what I mean better than anything I've ever heard, and uh, I'm ashamed to say I memorized it.
4: I'd love to hear it, my Uh, dear.
3: Well, I found it in an old book of poems. Uh, This particular poem was marked, and I thought to myself, the man who marked this poem is someone I understand and someone who understands me. Remember it, Alan?
4: Remember what?
3: My house, I say. To talk to the sunny doves that make my roof the arena of their love. Our house, they say. And mine, the cat declares and spreads his golden fleece upon the stairs. And mine, the dog, and rises stiff with wrath if any alien foot profane the path. <laughs> well,
2: that's charming, Mrs. Gatwick. <laughs> well, I
3: may have left out a line or two, but that's the general idea. And
2: I, uh...
4: I think Dr. Fort would like another brand new.
3: Of course, uh, You see, Judge Putnam, poetry is one of Allen's hidden vices.
4: <laughs> That's a wonderful girl, Gannery. Yes. Yes, she is. I'm a very lucky man.
3: Oh, Alan, it was a nice party, wasn't it?
4: Yes, it went beautifully. Say, Ann, how about driving down to Middleburg tomorrow for a few days?
3: Oh, Alan, could we? The the house where you were born, the house where you grew up. The poem came from.
4: That's not my book.
3: But it is, darling. You sent it to be rebound, remember?
4: I'm afraid it's a mistake.
3: But they had the name, Galloway, Middleburg, Virginia.
4: No, it's a mistake, Ann. Uh... (laughs) We'll leave right after breakfast. Maybe a little isolated for you down there. You know, there's no telephone.
3: Oh, no telephone. It sounds like heaven. Alan, will you hate being cooped up with me for days? Mm -hmm.
4: Give me a kiss and tell me why you asked that.
3: Because I love you. And I can't help noticing when we're alone how, how a lot of the glow you have with people sort of goes out of you.
4: And what's the matter?
3: I don't know nothing. I... Just wanted to be reassured, I guess.
4: Well, consider yourself reassured.
3: <laughs> About this book, if it's a mistake, I suppose I'll have to return it, but I hate to. Um, what's the penalty for stealing books?
4: Well, you stop shoving that book at me? Can't you see I don't want to discuss it? Alan! Don't you know by now whose book it is? You even memorized the poem he marked. I told you it wasn't mine.
1: It's his.
3: It's Michael.
4: He got you, didn't he, man? The sweet gentle boy who loved poetry. He understands you, isn't that what you said?
3: I memorized it only because I thought it was yours.:
4: Yes Of course you did. Oh and that was very unfair of me. I, I shouldn't take it out on you the way I feel about Mike. Please, please forgive me.
3: I forgive you, Alan) <laughs>
4: This is it, Ann. This is Middleburg.
3: Oh, what a lovely old house. Oh, it's a dream.
4: George. We're here, George. George? Just the caretaker, darling. Back there the stables. Orchards on the other side. You know that Mrs. Foster you met? Well, she lives beyond that stretch of woods there. Alan, you have a dog. <laughs> yeah, that's Bate. Don't think Bate likes me very much. Dogs and horses never do. And a bad character,
3: I guess. Hello, Bate. Come here, boy. Hey, now, don't you back away from me. You're supposed to be glad to see me.
1: Come here, dog. What you stand on like that for? Come back. Mr. Allen. Well, I'm sure glad to see you, sir. Well, it's all right, ma'am. I ain't used to strange. George, this is Mrs. Galloway.
3: I'm glad to know you, George. The place looks fine. Oh, it's just beautiful. Well,
1: thank
4: you, ma'am. You can get the bags out of the car, George.
3: I'll show Mrs. Galloway.
4: Well, I saved the living room for the last, Dan. well... Here it is.
3: Oh, how charming.
4: I suppose it could be. A little grim right now.
3: Oh, not grim, darling. A little lonely, perhaps. A little unused. Uh, Alan, I've been looking for pictures. I'd like so much to see a picture of your mother.
1: Everything all right, sir? Oh, yes, George. Come in.
3: Isn't there a picture of your mother somewhere?
1: Well, there used to be, ma'am,
4: but... I, uh... I took them down, Anne. I've stored away most of the personal stuff. Would you like to drive over to Mrs. Foster's? No. Well, not if you're tired, dear, but I want to speak to her about buying a section of those woods we passed.
3: Oh, well, you run along, darling. I'll unpack while you're gone. Well,
4: I'll be back by dinner time.
3: George! Yes, ma'am? Mr. Galloway, has he come home yet?
1: No, ma'am. Did you have a nice walk?
3: Well, I just came back from the stables. There, there was someone there. He just, he just about scared me to death.
1: A colored man, a big and fat? Yes. I'll keep that old Ben. up. Oh, not...
3: no, it's, it's all right, George. He went away.
1: Uh, ben, he, he's plumb out his head, ma'am. He don't mean no harm. I chased him off, but he just keeps coming back.
3: He kept talking about the horses in the stable.
1: Uh, I, I'll fix you a nice cup of tea, ma'am.
3: George, wait. He warned me about the black stallion.
1: Oh, yes, ma'am. That horse ain't no good. Please don't go near him.
3: He's Mr. Michael's horse, Ben said.
1: Uh, yes, ma'am. He, uh, he was...
3: I think I will have a cup of tea. Good and strong. George, that must be Mr. Garroway. I'll go, ma'am. I'm in here, darling. Who was it, Anne?
4: Who was just playing that piano?
3: Oh, why, darling, what's the matter? Who master? was playing that? Why, I was.
4: You? Why did you play that piece?
3: Oh, I don't know. I, I play it often. Father taught it to me.
4: Your father taught you that? Yes, yes, he does play the piano. I've forgotten. Well, that's a piece anyone might play, mightn't they?
3: Alan, your eye's cold. Oh, tell me what's wrong.
4: My mother. My mother died sitting at that piano playing that piece. You see, Middleburg is not all happy memories to here.
3: Oh, Alan, I'm so sorry. I
4: didn't mean to upset you, darling.
3: Oh, I wish I could have known your mother. Finding out that she loved that piece, too, makes me know her a little, doesn't it? That's a bond between us we didn't know about.
4: Yes. I, uh, I guess dinner will be ready
1: soon. Oh, bring them in there, George. I'll fix the cocktails, ma'am.
3: Oh, thank you. George, Mrs. Galloway must have been a wonderful woman.
1: Yes, ma'am, she was.
3: She was an invalid for a number of years, wasn't she?
1: Yes, ma'am. But she laid up there in her bed, never complaining, always smiling.
3: This piano must have been a great comfort to her when she did get up.
1: Piano, ma'am? Well, Miss Garraway never played no piano.
3: She didn't, but she died sitting at that piano, didn't she?
1: Oh, no, ma'am. She died upstairs in her room, ma'am. George! Can serve dinner any time it's ready. Yes, sir. I'm starving. Be ready in just a minute, sir.
4: Ah, cocktails. Well, we can use these, huh, dear? we? George's cocktails are the best. Almost good enough for you. Well, to us, darling.
3: Yes, Alan. To us.
0: We'll continue with Act Two of Undercurrent in just a few moments. Make a friend and you make an ally. There's a thought for you to keep in mind as many another American has. Not too long ago a request was received by the United States State Department for help in setting up a modern medical system in Thailand. The man selected for the job was Dr. Ben Eisman of St. Louis, whose work went far beyond the limits of his three month job. In Thailand he discovered that 17 million people living in the interior were being treated by only 700 doctors who were sadly ignorant of modern surgical techniques. At every turn, he fought against strong native superstitions to accomplish his work. With his small supply of instruments, he removed a ruptured appendix from a young Thai girl and performed a successful operation on the hair lip of another. He did plastic surgery and worked with skin grafts putting in from 15 to 20 hours a day. In the evenings, he completed two medical textbooks which were translated into the Thai language and were given free to any doctors or technicians who asked for them. Through Dr. Eisman's efforts and with American medical aid, a program was set up to raise the standards of health and medical education in Thailand and nearby countries. Thanks to Dr. Eisman, America has won herself more grateful allies. In recognition of his works, U.S. Envoy Edwin Stanton wrote these words to Dr. Eisman. You are one of the greatest ambassadors of goodwill America has ever sent abroad. Thus, Dr. Eisman had the personal satisfaction of knowing that by helping others, you help your country.
2: And now our producer, Mr.
0: Cummings.
2: Act Two of Undercurrent, starring Joan Fontaine as Anne and Mel Ferrer as Alice. It's been a strange and troubled 24 hours for Anne Garroway. crashing against the peace and loveliness of Middleburg are the tormenting clout doubts of what Alan has told her. His brother Michael, his mother. It's after dinner now. Alan has to drive to the village. As soon as he's gone, Anne has a plan.
4: Sure you don't want to go to the village
2: with me, Ann?
3: Uh, do you mind, darling? I am tired. That
4: telegram this afternoon is from Jonas Warnsley. He's in charge of the San Francisco plant. We'll be meeting him soon. Oh, Alan. I'm sorry, dear, if you'd rather stay on here. Oh,
3: no, if you're going to San Francisco, so am I.
4: You'll like San Francisco. Well, I won't be long. If you need anything, just call George.
3: All right, George, what is it? I said, what is it, George?
1: Nothing, ma'am. Nothing.
3: What were you afraid of just now? You knew I was in here.
1: No, ma'am. I heard the car drive off, and I thought you'd gone too. No lights turned on in here. I turned them
3: off. Who did you think was in here, George? Who used to sit at this piano and play that piece?
1: Oh, please, ma'am. You are nobody,
3: ma'am. That's not true. Who did you think it was? Did you think it was Michael? No, ma'am. Did Michael say this piece? He did, didn't he?
1: Oh, Miss Goward, please, please don't tell Mr. Allen I was talking about Mr. Michael.
3: I won't tell him. George, Mr. Allen has been terribly hurt. We've got to find a way to help him.
1: Just, just tell me what I could do.
3: No, there's not much you can do. George is there. He'll be leaving soon for San Francisco. What has to be done, i must try to do my <laughs>
4: Fan. Of all the places to take you, your first night in San Francisco, another nightclub.
3: Uh, but you said <laughs> Mr. Warnsey was to meet you here.
4: Yes, I know, but...
3: Alan, who was that girl, the girl you spoke to as we came in here?
4: An old friend. Sylvia Burton.
3: Just an old friend?
4: Well, sort of. Jealous?
3: Mm, you bet. She's far too lovely for an old friend.
4: You want to know something? Mm-hmm. You've got it all over Sylvia in every way. People wouldn't even notice her with you in the room.
3: Oh, darling, you're wonderful. Howdy you about every other woman. <laughs> Good evening. Oh, hello, Wansley
4: May I present Mrs. Garraway? How do you do? I'm very glad to meet you, Mrs. Garraway. Well, pull up a chair. How are things going? Oh, very well, sir. Things are really breaking in Seattle. I suggest you fly up there as soon as you can. Oh, well, anyway, I brought some contracts along. You'd care to look them over? Do you mind, darling?
3: Oh, no, you go ahead and look them over. I'll, I'll run in the powder room for a moment.
4: I, uh, I just saw Miss Burton. Did you? Has your wife met her yet? Those contracts, Warnsley. Let me have them.
3: Oh, hello, Mrs. Garroway. Oh, uh, Miss Burton. How do you like San Francisco? Oh, it's wonderful. So many bridges. Yes, so many to cross. I beg your pardon. Uh, what do you hear from Michael? Oh, nothing much. Did you ever meet him, Mrs. Garroway? Uh, no, I haven't, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, there have been some pretty unpleasant rumors about Michael. Well, whatever they are, I'm sure they're not true. Sorry. You know, it's strange, but I was beginning to have a funny feeling that Michael might be dead. Oh, no, I'm sure Alan would know. Yes, I suppose he would. You know, Miss Burton, when I saw you before, I wondered who it was you reminded me of. It's me. Not your features exactly, it's just something intangible. Have you noticed it? No. Oh, is that your glove on the floor, Oh, thanks. Uh, maybe it's the way we dress or walk or something. Maybe it's Miss Burton. Miss Burton. That's funny. Why should she just walk out like that? <laughs> of our plant, Mrs. Garraway. Oh, I'm very impressed, Mr. Wormsley. I only wish Alan were here to see how impressed I really am.
2: Well, I imagine he's in Seattle by now. Is there anything else around here you care to see?
3: Yes, I'd, um, I'd like to see some photographs.
2: Photographs?
3: <laughs> it's silly of me, isn't it? But it's such a big plant now and so impersonal. What was it like when it started, Mr. Wormsley? The plant, the employer's. Who was here in the beginning?
2: Well, there's a picture on that wall behind you, Mrs. Garraway.
3: Oh, yes. That's what I mean. Why, there's Alan. Alan in overalls. And you, too, Mr. Walmsley. Yes. But uh, those other three men?
2: Two of them are still with us. The other one is dead.
3: Who was he, Mr. Walmsley?
2: His name was Carl Stoyan.
3: Wasn't my husband's brother working here then? Why isn't he in the picture?
2: Uh, he, he was at his ranch the day it was taken.
3: His ranch? Oh, yes. Um, what happened to the ranch?
2: Well, Mr. Garraway took it over.
3: Alan owns it. Uh, you see, I, I'd i like to see that ranch.
2: Well, I'm afraid that's not very practical. It's uh, quite remote. The fog is bad this time of the year. Uh, there is a caretaker.
3: But t- I'd t- like to spend the day in the country. Uh, you could give me the keys, Mr. Warmsley.
2: I'll send them to your hotel in the morning.
3: Oh, and the directions, how to get there.
2: I'll enclose a map with the keys.
3: You've been very kind. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Walmsley.
2: Good day, Miss Garrow.
1: You're looking for someone, miss?
3: Oh, hello. Um, I'm Mrs. Alan Garroway. How do you do? You're the caretaker?
1: Why, uh, yes, yes, I am.
3: I've just been inspecting the house.
1: Well, uh, I was just about to leave, but if there's anything I can do for you, Uh,
3: Tell me, uh, did you know Michael Garraway?
2: Well, yes, I did. I'm a close neighbor up the road.
3: He left here very suddenly, didn't he? Yes. Uh, I guess he was a rather unpredictable person. Well, anyway, I think this is one of the most charming houses I've ever seen. it. It has dignity. Doesn't look as though it's been shut up at all, does it?
2: Uh, no, 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 it doesn't.
3: It looks well as though it were waiting for someone.
2: Waiting for someone? <laughs>
3: you probably think that's foolish, I suppose it is. Um, is that Sir I here? Are we that close to the ocean?
1: If you'd like, I'll show it to you. It's none of my business, Mrs. Garroway, but uh, did you have any special reason to come out here?
3: Well, it was such a nice day, and I thought I... no, no. I came to learn more about Michael Garroway.
2: You, uh, you'd better watch the path. It's sort of rocky here.
3: Everyone seems to be so vague about him. Except my husband, of course. (laughs) I don't know why I'm bothering you with all this.
1: Well, there's the ocean, Mrs. Garroway.
3: Oh, golly, Darling, it's beautiful, isn't it? You know, it's amazing. Michael had so much. Why do people do the things they do to themselves? Why doesn't someone step in and stop them, help them?
2: What about those people who refuse to be helped? Useless to even try.
3: Oh, no, it's not. It's never useless.
2: You feel quite deeply about it, don't
4: you?
3: You bet I do. Oh, that sea is near. Is that good swimming? No,
1: no. There's a rip riptide.
3: Oh, but it looks so calm.
1: You can't always
2: see that undercurrent, but it's there.
3: Like <laughs> life.
2: That's right fog's starting to roll in. It'll be getting dark soon. You going back to the house?
3: Yes, in a moment. You go ahead. Thanks for taking me around and forgive my philosophical outlook.
1: Oh, don't apologize for that. I think it was very well said. Goodbye, Mrs. Carroll. His house.
3: Michael's house. Just as he left us. But
2: the
4: walls can't talk and the books, the chairs. What are you doing here? Alan.
3: What are you doing here? Alan, you frightened me you so I came
4: here looking for something. I asked you not to pry. I asked you to forget about Mike.
3: Alan, you didn't leave Seattle just because Walmsley
4: telephoned me. He said you'd asked him for the keys. Yes, I thought it was important that I come. You're my wife, Anne. He's never even seen Mike, and yet he's managed to get a hold on you and make trouble between us.
3: Oh, darling, I'm only He had trying. a
4: diabolic cleverness about pushing people around. He always knew how to get his own way.
3: You keep saying had, and you... Is he dead?
4: How should I know if he's dead? I hope he is.
3: Alan, how can you? How much do
4: you think I can stand? He's got you sneaking around corners trying to find out things about him. What have you discovered? I'm here to help. Let's find out everything we can about him. A man who likes music and books, wouldn't you say? The strong, silent, philosophical type. He'd have read your poetry and told you whimsical stories about his neighbors. You'd have fallen for that, wouldn't you, Ann? Oh,
3: Alan, I'm sorry. I know you're
4: sorry, but that doesn't help. Why couldn't you do as I ask? If there's anything else you want to know, ask me now. Don't ask Wansley or the natives or the bellboys at the hotel. Ask me. I'll tell you anything if you'll only stop bringing him into our life.
3: I was wrong to come here if you didn't want me to. But for you to shout at me and treat me as though I were a criminal. Alan, whatever I did... I did for us, to try to find out why it is he comes between us because of him. Our life together, he's hurting our marriage, and I, I want our marriage.
4: we we'd better start back to town. You want to go up to our rooms, Anne? Or would you rather have dinner first?
3: I'd rather go up if you don't mind, I'd like to... Alan, wait. What's the matter? This and that woman over there. No, Galloway's rude, all right. This camp was all set for oh, reconversion. Galloway's no sort of bodily conversion. Did you ever see his wife? And please. No, I, I want to listen. I saw her in Washington the day they arrived. She couldn't have looked out here. Of course, the poor girl had on a Sunday That's for bread. We can go up now, Alan. <laughs>
4: What are you thinking about, Anne. Those women in the lobby, you're going to let a couple of gossips throw you?
3: I'm thrown by the truth. I was rather dowdy that first night in Washington. You expected me to be, didn't you? I what? You could have waited for me to meet your friends. But the truth is, if no one saw the before, you wouldn't get credit for the after, would you?
4: Why should I want to do a thing like that?
3: So you could exhibit me as your own invention, like the Galloway distance control.
4: What do you mean by that?
3: You know, Alan... I think I have a glimmering now of why you married me.
4: I want to know what you meant about the distance control.
3: I meant nothing by it.
4: All right, what else do you think? Why did I marry you?
3: You wanted another girl, but she fell in love with someone else. I happened to remind you of her. Only I was so terribly admiring of you. And you thought if you could make me outshine you. Her... you're mad. Yes, Ellen, I sometimes think I am. I have a feeling as though I were living in a dream, haunted by your obsession. Your hatred for your brother
4: all around us. Anne. Anne, things between us look pretty black right now. It's hard to talk, but I do want to tell you that that I love you. The way I acted at the ranch was unforgivable. I'll never speak that way to you again. I'll have to go back to Seattle. You'll have a couple of days to think. But when you do, try to keep a little old-fashioned trust and blind faith in our marriage... I want our marriage to end. It's very important to me. Please try.
3: Yes, Alan. I'll try.
0: Make a friend and you make an ally. There's a thought for you to keep in mind, as many another American has. In 1864... Clara Barton gave up a successful job in the patent office in Washington and devoted the rest of her life to bringing physical and mental aid to the wounded and dying on the battlefield. At first, it was the soldiers of the American Civil War. But when the war ended, she was forced to go abroad to recuperate from nervous exhaustion. While she was in Switzerland, Napoleon declared war on Prussia. Clara Barton was urged to return to her own country, but she refused. She felt it was her duty to remain in Europe and help the wounded of this new war. It didn't make any difference to her if they were French or Prussian. She didn't ask the nationality of the sufferer when she stopped the flow of blood from a soldier's wound. In spite of many inconveniences and hardships, she traveled across the rugged German countryside to reach the Prussian front lines. But there she was told that the only way she could be allowed into a front-line camp would be as a prisoner of war. Clara Barton agreed. And as a prisoner until the end of the war, she continued to do her work with the wounded Prussian soldiers. After the war, she remained in Europe to help the defeated French. When she sailed for home in 1873, grateful Europeans bestowed on her many medals of honor, including the Gold Cross of Remembrance, the Jewel of the Red Cross, and the Iron Cross of Merit. Once again, an unselfish American had discovered that by helping others, you help your country. We pause now for station identification.
2: The curtain rises on Act Three of Undercurrent, starring Joan Fontaine as Anne and Mel Ferrer as Alan. the following morning. With Alan back in Seattle, Anne is making an uninvited call on Sylvia Burton.
3: Very nice of you to see me, Miss Burton. You have a reason for coming here, I suppose. There are some questions I'm trying to find the answers to. I'm rather curious about a few things myself. As far as Alan is concerned, I despise him. Does that answer one of your questions? Not quite. I love him. It's not Alan I want to know about. It's Michael. I can imagine. All I know is that he and Alan had a terrible fight and Michael disappeared. But he seems to be coming up more and more in our lives, wherever we go, whatever we do. I've got to know more about him. My marriage, my happiness, my future seemed to depend on it. And you'd like to know how close Mike and I were. Well, we weren't. I tried, but Mike wouldn't have it. I used to think it was because he had some sort of funny sense of loyalty since I'd met him through Alan. He was that thing you have to look for with a microscope. A gentleman. And that's the man your husband spread those lies about stealing money. I believe my husband, Miss Burton. Nonsense. You think he's lying and I know he is. Why? Because I'd been through this myself. When Mike disappeared, I went crazy trying to find out what happened to him. And did you find out? Only that he'd been at his ranch. That was the last anyone saw of him. Except your husband. You see, I still think Mike is dead. You mean he was killed in the war? No, I don't mean he was killed in the war. Why hasn't he written to someone? Lots of us would like to know what happened at that last meeting, Mrs. Garraway. Ask your husband, what kind of a fight was it and what happened to Mike? How oh, dare you speak to me this way? I should never have come here. It isn't such a shocking idea, Mrs. Garraway. Not when you've lived with us. Hello? Mrs. Alan Garroway? Yes? One moment, please. Seattle calling. Here's your party, sir. Hello, Anne? Uh, yes, Alan.
4: I miss you so, darling. I miss you very much. I haven't been able to think or concentrate on anything but you.
3: Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I I'm so confused. I
4: Don't, darling, don't. Anne. I have to leave for Baltimore in the morning. I can't very well get out of it.
3: That's all right, Alan. But I
4: think it could work out well for us. If you like, you could go on to Middleburg. Take the train. By the time you get there, I'll be through in Baltimore and can join you.
3: Yes, Alan, yes. I'm going
4: to devote the next few weeks to us. We'll have a real honeymoon in Middleburg. You wait and see. I love you,
1: Anne. I love you. I wish I'd known you'd come into Middleburg, Miss Galloway. I wish you'd told me.
3: Why, George, I don't think you're glad to see me. Oh,
1: no, ma'am. I'm real pleased. When will Mr. Allen be here?
3: He'll be here later tonight. George, why do you wish I'd let you know? Uh,
1: just uh, so just that I they had a little time to fix things up.
3: Such as out there, George, out there by the stables? A little time to tell whoever it is out there to go away?
1: Miss Galway, there ain't nobody out there, Miss Galway.
3: Oh, I don't mean old Ben either. Just now when I was walking, the dog saw him, Bates saw him. Bate was all excited, jumping up and down and wagging his tail.
1: But you didn't see nobody, ma'am.
3: No, no, I didn't. It was too dark, and I was frightened, I suppose. I came straight back here.
1: Oh, let it pass. Please, Miss Gareway, uh, let it pass.
3: I can't, George. I'm, I'm not frightened now. I'm going back to the stables and look for my things. <laughs> Bate. Fate, come here, boy. Come here. There's no one here now. Is there, Fate? But he was here and you saw him, didn't you? You saw Michael. He's alive, isn't he? I thought that Sylvia Burton was right, that Alan had killed him. But everything that Alan said about him is true. Michael's here and he's hiding. That's why, George. Oh, Alan, Alan, how could I? How could I?
4: All right, Bate, you can stop barking. Hey, that's no way to welcome me home. Hello, Alan. Mike. Take it easy. Better keep our voices down. Your wife's in the house. You've seen my wife? Don't worry, she didn't see me. Why did you come back? Wouldn't you rather know why I went away? I didn't steal any money, Alan. You've been a long time denying it. Be kind of tough to prove. You have the books pretty well rigged. But that's not what kept me away. It was Carl Stoyer. Stoyer's dead? Yes. Dead and buried. Just a nice old German refugee who lived for one thing only—to get back at the Nazis. Do you remember that invention he was working on? Every man at the plant was working on an invention of some kind or another. That's right. But only Stoyer died. The coroner said it was an accident. He fell down the cellar steps. And what's that got to do with me? It's got a lot to do with you. Stoyer had a pet name for that invention of his. His fern he called it. He used to say, my fern will fix the Nazis. Your brother and me, we know. Someday my fern will pay them back. Fern, fern. I couldn't figure it out until it dawned on me that fern is the German word. It means distance. Fern Long distance control. That's why Stoyer died. He was murdered by somebody who wanted his invention. The distance controller was mine. It was Stoyer's. And it made millions for you.
2: Well,
4: has the money been worth it, Alan? Has it been worth killing for? You can't prove any of this. Maybe not. Is Wormsley the only other one who guessed? Because you're paying him off, aren't you? Well, anyway, I wanted to get out of the whole mess. That's why I disappeared.
2: But it seems it has to be
4: faced after all. I have met your wife. Here? Today? No, the ranch. She thought I was the caretaker. She's a fine girl, Ellen, But she doesn't know about Stoyer, does she? Well, I'm here to make sure she finds out. If you think I killed Stoyer, what makes you think I wouldn't kill you? I believe you're capable of trying. No. Once I could have killed you. But not now. I can't kill you any more than I can give Ann up. I'm going to keep her, Mike, for as long as I can... A minute, an hour, as long as I can. How can you think you have a right to her? What gives a man a right? Does love. Because I love her. You can take everything else, but not her, Mike. Not her. I never thought I would, but I'm crawling to you. She loves me. She's helping me. I've got a chance now. I can be all right. I never could before. What chances does she have, Alan? I'll tell her. Well, I'll have to do it my own time. Just, just a little time, that's all I'm asking, until I'm sure of her. I think you can be sure of her. And... Anne, darling, wake up, dear.
3: I'm back. No. Oh, uh, oh. Oh, forgive me, darling. Forgive me. Forgive you? I've I've been so wrong. I, I've got to tell you something, and I and I'm so deeply ashamed. I I thought such crazy things about you. I thought that. I thought you'd killed your brother. No, darling, listen to me. I thought that, and I was going away and never see you again.
4: You were going to leave me?
3: I couldn't have stayed. I couldn't have you endured... You couldn't have
4: endured living with a murderer.
3: Oh, but it's all over. I know he's alive. I'm, I'm able to breathe again.
4: Yes, Sam. It is. It is over. And no one will ever come between us again.
3: Oh, Alan, I, I want you to listen to me. You remember that I once told you that Michael was your obsession? Yes. I was wrong. I think he's my obsession. I, I want to drive him away, but there's something unfinished somehow. I think if I could see him, hear him speak, then I'd... Then I'd known the way you do as a man, not a shadow. Someone who was cruel and wrong and was hurt you. Oh, I was so wrong about him. Everyone was.
4: Everyone? Whom did you speak to about Mike?
3: Sylvia Burton. She thought you killed him.
4: And you believed her. Were you glad she was wrong? Oh,
3: glad? Oh, yes, Alan, yes. Then why are you unhappy? Oh, that's why I to find him. He's still here in my mind somehow. You've got to help me. I don't understand it
4: you understand? Yes. Yes, I think I do. You're in love with him. No. You're in love with him, aren't you?
3: But no, no. How could I be in love with someone that I've never seen? Oh,
4: but you've seen a lot of Mike. A book, a poem, his house, a girl who once loved him. Aren't you jealous of Sylvia Burton? Why did you go to her? What did you really want to know?
3: Alan, please. You go
4: to anyone who could talk about Mike. You wanted to believe what they had to tell you. You never believed me. You don't believe me now.
3: Stop it, Alan. Stop it. It wasn't
4: my happiness. Our happiness. You were trying to find it with him.
3: Oh, that's not true. I
4: was we so relieved just now. Not because I hadn't killed him, but because he was alive. You'll go on looking for him, won't you, Anne? And after you find him, then what? Will you leave me? Alan. Don't you see what you've done? You'll never leave me, Anne. Never.
3: George. George.
4: Good morning, Anne. And <gasps> well, you're up early. Didn't you sleep well? George! George is gone. I sent him into town. He won't be back until evening.
3: Alan, Alan, no! I thought
4: I'd go for a ride. That stallion, he'll break down the stall unless he gets some exercise. I thought we could. Why are you trembling, Anne? Sit down. Here. Have some coffee.
3: Alan, I oh, Don't I... be
4: afraid, Anne. Fear is no good. I know. But now I'm finally free. Drink your coffee, dear. mean your hand's shaking. You're not going on being afraid the rest of your life, are you, Anne? Are you? Why run to your room? You can't lock yourself in. I've got the key, Anne.
3: Hey, there. Anyone else?
4: Oh, uh, hello, Mrs. Foster. Come in.
3: Hello, Alice. You wife up yet?
4: Yes, I think so. Shall I call her?
3: Well, it's a fine morning for a ride.
4: Yes. Yes, it is.
3: You must have had the same idea you're dressed for. Why,
4: yes, I, uh...
3: Oh, there you are. Welcome home, my dear. How about coming over for breakfast and a ride? I'd... I'd like to very much. Wonderful. I'll expect you in half an hour. How's that? Oh, but I can be ready in just a moment. Well, Biscuits you...
4: for breakfast, Mrs. Foster.
3: With my own two hands.
4: And just wait till you taste them. Nothing like them in the whole world.
3: Mrs. Foster, there's something I must tell you. I must speak to you. Well, that's fine, dear. We'll have a leisurely breakfast and all morning to get acquainted in. See you soon, dear. Well,
4: I'll walk out with you, Mrs. Foster. I'll have to saddle up the horses.
3: What's the matter with the bride, Ellen? A quarrel?
4: Oh, not a quarrel, exactly. Well, don't worry.
3: It's natural, the first year, getting acquainted. What horse are you going to ride?
4: By the stallion, naturally.
3: Well, just make sure you don't give him to her. He's a mean one, Beth. Alan, Alan, do we have to come this way?
4: Can't you handle your horse? I gave you the mare.
3: But I'm not a good rider, Alan. This cliff.
4: I thought if we took the trail along the cliff, you'd enjoy the view. It is beautiful, isn't it?
3: Alan, keep your horse back, please.
4: That's easy to say. I can't hold him in.
3: But there's not room for both of us. The
4: path is narrow, isn't it? Quite a drop to the gorge, Ann. 200 feet.
3: Alan, you're pushing me. Then use
4: your spurs. Go on ahead.
3: Alan, Alan, please don't. Please don't. Please. You want to leave
4: me, Anne, don't you? You want to go to Michael. I'll send you to him now.
2: Alan! No! No!
4: You little fool! Go on. Run away. See how far you'll get. Anne. Anne. What happened? Did your horse throw you? Oh, it's quite a bruise on your head. Or did you hit a low branch? (laughs) It hurts, doesn't it, Ann? Nothing's going to hurt you anymore. I'm going to kill you,
2: Anne. (gasps)
4: They'll think you broke your stupid little neck when your horse... Get away!
2: Get away from me! (gasps) Hello.
3: Hello, Doctor. Doctor, this is Mrs. Foster. There's been a terrible accident. Alan Garraway, he's dead. That stallion of his must have gone crazy or something. Kicked him to death, it looks like. You'd better come right out, Doctor. His wife's been badly hurt too. That music is beautiful, Anne. Who's playing? My father. He always does well by Chopin. Mm. I like your father, Anne. I'm so glad he was able to come down here. Oh, my, Mrs. Foster. You're all right. Staying on here at Middleburg all these weeks, doing your getting well here, it took courage to face it out. Most people would have run away. (laughs) Hard to run away in a wheelchair. Dr. Hill says by next week... That's really why I stayed. Not because I've courage, I haven't.
0: Here you are, darling. One of George's priceless eggplants.
3: Father! Who's playing the piano? I thought you were.
4: You have a visitor.
3: Oh, oh no. I, I can't see him. I'm not ready yet. I can't.
4: You sent for him, Anne.
3: Yes. Yes,
4: I sent for him. I'll wheel you in.
3: I can manage alone. You're Michael, aren't you?
4: Yes. I'm sorry, Anne. I...
3: I think I knew, not at the ranch, but afterwards. I think I knew.
4: You sent for me? Yes. I think I'd have come in any case. I was just waiting until you were well.
3: Well, it seems that now I'm a very rich woman. Yes. It's wrong for me to have it. It belongs to you. No.
4: No, it it belongs to someone who's dead now. Carl Steuer. his heirs, possibly.
3: They must have it then. I'm a bad liar, Michael. I I didn't send for you because of the money. The lawyers could have handled that. I wanted to know you. Now that you do. I'm happy to know you, Michael. Thank you. There are other things I must tell you. I, I won't forget, Alan. I loved him very much. Not at the end. It was gone then. But I did love him. I know.
4: Anna, I almost got you killed. I was here the night before. I, I saw Alan. Talked
2: to him. I should never have left.
3: I looked for you, Michael.
2: I went away that night because because I was full of guilt about my feelings for you. I I had no business to feel the way of,
1: about you that I did. My my brother's wife.
4: I won't talk about it now, but someday.
3: Yes, Michael.
0: moment our stars will return the town of Kotzebue Alaska had very little defense against the fire which raced through it on a winter's night in a few hours houses stores and other buildings had burned to the ground and many people were homeless but a unit from the 11th Air Division stationed nearby took charge and made space for the people to stay overnight set up temporary shelters and mess tents and the next day they set to work to rebuild the town on off-duty hours throughout the next few weeks They worked as carpenters, painters, bricklayers, plumbers, and electricians. And from their example, the people of of Coatsubieh took heart. As the town was rebuilt, so their hope for the future was rekindled. Such acts by you and your friends today are shaping our world of
2: tomorrow. Now, Mr. Cummings with our star. And here they are, stepping forward to the footlights, Joan Fontaine and Mel (laughs) Ferrer. Mr. Cummings, what about next week's play? It's a highly dramatic story filled with suspense that will keep you right on the edge of your chair. It's 20th Century Fox's Man on a Tightrope, the exciting adventure of a circus owner who makes a wild dash for freedom in a foolhardy attempt to escape from terror and oppression. As our stars, one of the finest actors of stage or screen, Edward J. Robinson, and co-starring in the part of his lovely daughter... (laughs) will be Terry Moore.
3: Oh, we'll be looking forward to that, Irving. Good night. Good night. Good night.
2: was an exciting evening.
0: The Hollywood Radio Theater is produced by Mr. Irving Cummings. Our orchestra is under the direction of Rudy Schrager. This is Ken Carpenter inviting you to join us next week at this same time for another presentation of the Hollywood Radio Theater. Hollywood Radio Theater is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.